since we will be uh, dealing with this uh, part of the Westminster Confession that deals with uh, our adoption in the Lord Jesus, uh, it's appropriate that we read first from Galatians chapter 3. I'll read from Galatians 3 verse 23 through to chapter 4 verse 7. And uh, note as we go through this passage the references to our sonship and adoption. Galatians 3 from verse 23. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, though he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Would you then please turn to Jeremiah chapter 3, and I'll read verses 6 to 23. The text for the sermon is verses 19 to 23, and again we will see a clear evidence of adoption, the adoption of God's people. Jeremiah 3, starting at verse 6. And after that I'll read from the Westminster Confession. Then the Lord said to me in the days of Josiah the king, Have you seen what faithless Israel did? She went up on every high hill and under every green tree, and she was a harlot there. And I thought, after she has done all these things, she will return to me. But she did not return, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I saw that for all the adulteries of faithless Israel... I had sent her away and given her a writ of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she went and was a harlot also. And it came about because of the lightness of her harlotry that she polluted the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. And yet in spite of all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart 
but rather in deception, declares the Lord. And the Lord said to me, Faithless Israel has proved herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look upon you in anger, for I am gracious, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your iniquity, that you have transgressed against the Lord your God and have scattered your favours to the strangers under every green tree. And you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Return, O faithless sons, declares the Lord, for I am a master to you. And I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart, who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. And it shall be in those days, when you are multiplied and increased in the land, declares the Lord, they shall say no more, the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and it shall not come to mind, nor shall they remember it, nor shall they miss it, nor shall it be made again. At that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations will be gathered to it, to Jerusalem, for the name of the Lord, nor shall they walk any more after the stubbornness of their evil heart. In those days the house of Judah will walk with the house of Israel, and they will come together from the land of the north to the land that I gave your fathers as an inheritance. And now our text from verses 19 to 23 Then I said, how I would set you among my sons and give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance of the nations. And I said, you shall call me my father and not turn away from following me. Surely as a woman treacherously departs from her lover, so you have dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. A voice is heard on the bare heights, the weeping and the supplications of the sons of Israel, because they have perverted their way, they have forgotten the Lord their God. Return, O faithless sons, I will heal your faithlessness. Behold, we come to thee, for thou art the Lord our God. Surely the hills are a deception, a tumult on the mountains. Surely in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. And then if you look in your bulletin, you'll find a copy of Westminster Confession, chapter 12. And this particular chapter has just the one article. It's the chapter on adoption. All those that are justified, God vouchsafeth in and for his only Son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption, by which they are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God, have his name put upon them, receive the spirit of adoption, have access to the throne of grace with boldness, are enabled to cry, Abba, Father, are pitied, protected, provided for, and chastened by him as by a father, yet never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption, 
and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, though uh, each week we hear with our ears your word read and preached, we do know that we need more than that. Father, we need it to be placed upon our hearts. We need our lethargy and our laziness, our spiritual laziness to be dispelled. We need our reluctance to deal with our sins overcome. Father, we need the help of your spirit to accompany the word and we pray now for that that help. We ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Covenant people of God, uh, children often use the word dad and they're taught to use it from an early age as they grow up. They often use it in a very positive way. Uh, They may use it in an affectionate way. And they may use it in a humble way. But sometimes as they grow older, it is used in exactly the opposite way. It may be used in a a manipulative way. Please, Dad, can I have some money? Can I, can I, can I? You're the best dad in the world, Dad. Can I have some money? Or it could be used in a sarcastic way. Your wish is my command, Father. Or it could be used in an angry way. I wish you weren't my father. So there's various ways, positive and negative, that these things can be said. And we see from this that it's possible to combine both a recognition of a child's status as a son of his father, while at the very same time rebelling against it and using the word father and addressing father in a rebellious manner. Much the same had happened in Judah, in the time of Jeremiah and uh, prior to that with the northern kingdom Israel as well. They were God's adopted sons. They were the covenant people of God. And they certainly called God Father. But what did they mean by it? What did they understand by that? Here the Lord contrasts what they meant with, by it, what they meant when they called him Father and called themselves sons of God, That's contrasted with what the Lord means. Two points as we look at this. Firstly, the blessings of adoption promised. And secondly, they're promised to bring about repentance. The blessings of adoption to bring about repentance. And uh, if I could sum up the uh, point of what I want to say this afternoon on this, uh, and it is this, that... Our adoption, the fact that we are sons and daughters of the living God, is an enormous privilege and blessing. But it is a blessing that should lead us to repentance for our sins as well. So that, in summary, is what we will be looking at. In the first place, then, it's helpful, I think, to consider the background of our text, as we did that this morning as well. And here, too, that's important for understanding what we're looking at. And in those first 18 verses of this chapter, the Lord is calling on faithless Israel to repent. And it's really also aimed at Judah, although it is addressed in part to the north, it is addressed in part to the northern kingdom, the people of Israel. Uh, but by Jeremiah's time, there only, there's only a remnant of them, a remnant that has come and joined Judah. So it really also is for the benefit of Judah, where Jeremiah did 
his ministry basically uh, in Judah in Josiah's time. And uh, so that's where it's addressed. And in those earlier verses, those 18 verses, the point is hammered home again and again on just how faithless his people were at that time. The word faithless or faithlessness is used in verses 6, 8, 11, 12, 14 and 22. So this is a a really uh, dominant accusation here. So they are sons of God. No doubt that they're called that, but they are called faithless sons. And Jeremiah is called on here to proclaim these words uh, towards the north, facing the north, where the nation of uh, the northern kingdom of Israel had formerly existed, as he makes this point that Judah is committing the same sins as the northern kingdom, same kind of sins, in some ways even worse. But even with the northern kingdom, which now no longer existed, even there, God is willing to show mercy to a remnant if they repent. And that point about repentance, because that is the point of this here, that God will show mercy if they repent and return to the Lord, the incentive that's given for that here in this particular chapter is not the warning of coming judgment. There's plenty of that in the scripture. But here the the main incentive that's given for them to repent is the assurance of sonship. It's a positive incentive for them to repent. The assurance that God will not be angry with them forever. He will be gracious to them and he will bless them once again if they confess their sins and repent. So part of that incentive for the repentance then comes from them recognising the fact that they are the sons of God. They have been adopted as sons of God. And he blesses his sons. The Lord assures them that it would be his pleasure to have them as his sons. In other words, it would be his pleasure to have them as his sons indeed, not just in name only, which was the case. Verse 19, how I would set you among my sons. We shouldn't understand this as a kind of ineffectual hand-wringing on the part of God, as if he was some impotent God who is uh, subject to the free will of the sinner and uh, he just has to, he'd love them to believe and he'd love them to be saved and he'd love them to repent, but he can only do so much. He can only plead with them and only hope that they'll come round, that they'll listen. No, this is an assurance that if Israel would repent, they would not find the Lord slow to restore them. This is an assurance of his mercy and grace. And in that respect, it's very similar to what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 23, verses 37 to 39, over the hardness of heart of many of the covenant people in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling. And there that too is really a a, uh, proclamation of the the fatherhood of God, only compared here, here to a mother, a mother hen and her chicks being sheltered, but it's the same basic idea, a picture of the fatherhood of God A God who has his electing purposes and who sovereignly outworks those purposes. A God who sovereignly calls his people to himself. No doubt about that. But also 
a God who upholds his own covenant, both the promises and also the covenant curses, so that if his people rebel against him, then they will experience those covenant curses. So he's upholding both the promise and also the promise to those who repent and believe, but to those who do not, uh, then they will experience the wrath of God. And so this is really then in this chapter a display of the mercy of God, where faithless sons are being called back. That's a mercy. So not only does the Lord remind his sinful people of his fatherly willingness to show them pity, to show them that mercy and grace if they repent, but also he reminds them of how good and blessed a state it is to be in right relationship with your father. That's also part of the incentive here. How willing he is, if they repent, to give them a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance of the nations, Verse 19, where the land of Canaan there uh, points to the inheritance of the new heavens and the new earth for all of God's children. Now that is, of course, that promise of the land and of the inheritance of the nations. That's just a a snapshot of the blessings of adoption. Uh, The idea there being part of the inheritance. The inheritance of sons uh, is this inheritance of land and the inheritance of the nations. So that's connected very much to their adoption. But that's just a snapshot of it that's put in Old Testament terms. But it points to much, much more. It points to all the blessings of adoption. And the Westminster Confession doesn't list all those blessings of adoption, but it sure gives us a pretty good idea of what they include. It expands on the liberties and privileges of those adopted in and for the Lord Jesus. It expands on the inheritance of sons and daughters that we have been given by our Heavenly Father. And so as we quickly go through that list of things in the Westminster, I just want to point out how each one of those blessings is particularly closely associated with adoption. This is very much a list of blessings that come from being adopted sons and daughters of God. Firstly, that God's name is put upon us. It is given to us to reflect the character of God, his name. And it is given to us that the work of God, through the Lord Jesus Christ especially, is applied to us, so that as adopted children, we can start to take on the family name, we can start to take on the family character. So that's one blessing that's connected with being adopted. A second one is that we receive the spirit of adoption. The Holy Spirit who gives to us the gift of faith that joins us to the Lord Jesus Christ, thus enabling us to be adopted in the first place. But who also gives us a spirit within ourselves that is able to recognise the truth that we are adopted to recognise that we're sons and daughters of God and to to lay hold of that and the assurance of that and the joy of that, the Spirit enables us to embrace that truth and recognise that that is who we are. We are sons of God, adopted by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, That comes out very much in Romans 8, verses 15 to 17, 
and Galatians 4, verses 6 and 7, which we read, which outline the Spirit's work in giving us that spirit of adoption. Uh, Part of that work also, the Holy Spirit enables us to pray. He enables us to come to God, to come uh, boldly before the throne of grace, knowing that the one that we are praying to, the one to whom we are coming close, is our Father. Close and fatherly to us because of the work of the Lord Jesus. And not some God who is a stranger. And not some God who is an enemy, who doesn't want us to come near, who wants to push us away, doesn't want us to know any closeness to him. The Lord also, as part of those blessings of uh, adoption, uh, he also protects us and provides for us. We heard about that this morning. He leads and guides us because we are his beloved children and that is what fathers do. That's what they do for their children. They protect them, they provide for them and they give them guidance. He pities his children like a father. We say that, don't we, in the Lord's Supper service? Like as a father pitieth his children. He pities his children. And so when we we harm ourselves, which is what we do every time we sin, our father pities us and shows us mercy and is gracious to us and forgives us because he has that fatherly attitude towards us in Christ. He sends us fatherly discipline to protect, to correct us, And to train us because he loves us as a father and that is what good fathers do for their children. They discipline them, they train them and they do that in order to correct their mistakes so they don't harm themselves. Because what father wants to see harm come to his children? And uh, all of that lies behind this uh, prophecy in verse 19 that you shall call me my father. That is what God desires for his people here. And you see, this is just a sample of what we could list as the the blessings of adoption. But the point that's being made by this is what what great blessings these are indeed. And this is only a sample, as I say. Huge blessings of adoption that ought to create in us the kind of gratitude that leads us not to want to sin against our God, but rather, on the contrary, to show our gratitude by seeking to do that which is pleasing in his sight with his help and repenting when we do not. Creating in us also an abhorrence of the very thought of what it would mean if we were cut off from those blessings of adoption. All of this, as I say, is aimed at bringing erring children of Israel back home. Our second and final point, to bring about repentance. Now, I've already touched on the the reason for that, the aim of listing or referring to these blessings of adoption and the fact of it. Uh, But in this second and final point, I want to go into more detail and describe three scenarios where the listing of these blessings of adoption is very relevant. And to understand also what it was about Israel at that time that was going in the opposite direction so that we understand what they had to repent of. Uh, First, and I want to mention three scenarios in that connection. First of all, 
There were those within Israel and uh, what was left of Israel and Judah. There were those who did remain basically faithful to the Lord. The Westminster says in chapter 12, article 1, that those who are justified through the Lord Jesus Christ are also adopted. And once they are adopted, that status will last forever. It cannot be undone. It is permanent. For those people, the reminder of all of these blessings of adoption, they serve to encourage them as they encourage us to continue in the Lord's way. The way which also involves all of these blessings that we desire so much. A way that also includes regular repentance of our sins. So that's one scenario. Those who who weren't going in for these sins of Israel in the way that many were, but who remained basically faithful. There is a second scenario where covenant members walk away from the Lord for a time even though they are truly his sons. It is astounding, actually, that anyone who has known anything of the liberties and the privileges of being God's children, his adopted children, that anyone who has known anything of that would actually want to jeopardise it and lose those, risk losing those blessings, so to speak. But as in earthly family life, This sometimes does happen. And I'm not talking now about situations where there may be uh, dysfunction in family life, but I'm talking about uh, a a Christian, a godly Christian family, where with all of the, the privileges of that and the blessing of growing up in a Christian family, sometimes young people say, oh, who cares about that? I want to get out, I want to go away, I want to run away from that and get as far away, far away from that as I possibly can. And from the point of view of those who who understand those blessings, who understand what it means to be a member of the family, that's astounding. That you would ever want to do something like that, to walk away from that, and by running away from it, to run headlong into a life of sin and of misery. But the thing is, in this scenario that I'm talking about now, those who are true sons will, like the prodigal son, Return. The adoption that is joined to justification is permanent. And for them, though there may be a time of backsliding and there may be a time where there's some rebellion there, for them, that adoption that is joined to justification is permanent. For them, the message of adoption is that the Lord will show them pity. Like the father in the, in the account of the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son, ready to forgive when they repent and return to him. Moreover, for those in that category, the reminder of all of these great blessings of adoption and how great they are may be the, the catalyst that causes them to start to look wistfully at the freedom and privilege they had when things were right in family life and when they were taking part of, in it and, uh, and being blessed by it. So that their, their longing to return to those days is reignited. Jeremiah's words are an assurance to the people of Israel, as they are to us, that we should never tell ourselves, well, there's just no point. The Lord would never forgive me for what I've done. And the people in that Reformed church, they wouldn't want me back anyway. I've heard that a few times. 
It's not true. We're always, and I've seen this so many times, I've seen it in the session room, as I've said before, and I've seen it in the congregation, how much the congregation rejoices when someone returns, when they come back home, when the prodigal son comes back home. You know, bring out the fatted calf. That's the attitude. And so these words here are an assurance of God's attitude that he is ready to forgive those who repent and to even heal them of their faithlessness, as verse 22 says. Third scenario is one where covenant members who have called God Father never understood a word of it. They never understood what the word Father meant. They never understood what the word adoption meant. And they never understood what the term son and daughter meant. They used those words. They cried out to the Lord at times. They cried out calling him Father and referring to themselves as the sons of Israel and never understood what it meant. Members of the community of the adopted, yet no true sons. And uh, I say uh, community of the the adopted because that's the way the scripture speaks about the church, also in the New Testament. Uh, The church is addressed as sons of God and heirs of God, but in the recognition there are some who have rejected what it really means. And there will be some. For them, the blessings of adoption are still a call to repent. God still shows that mercy, but it's a call that they will not heed. It's also a further indictment on those who have hardened their hearts so much as to despise the offer of mercy and privilege of adoption that God reissues to them when they go in the wrong direction. Of what then did Israel, in this case that we're reading about here, of what did they need to repent? And not just Israel, but also Judah, the remnant of Israel joined with the people of Judah. When we read in verse 20 that uh, it is said that they have dealt treacherously with the Lord. Faithless Israel, treacherous Judah. Treacherous means they acted as traitors. They betrayed their father, their heavenly father. They betrayed their brethren and they betrayed their covenant. In Jeremiah's time, good King Josiah did something that most of the kings of both Judah and Israel had failed to do. He removed the high places. You might have noticed the references to the high places as we read through that chapter. Uh, You can read about Josiah's removal of them in 2 Chronicles 34, verse 3. These were old Canaanite worship sites on the hilltops, which the people of Israel and Judah took over and they combined elements of pagan Canaanite worship with Yahweh worship. So on those hilltops, they cried out to Yahweh as their father and they as his sons while bringing in elements of pagan worship. But the people, unfortunately, did not all have... Josiah removed those things, but the people did not all have the same heart for God as they a king. And they are pictured here in verse 21 as weeping and making supplication. They were praying to Yahweh because the heights, the hilltops were now bare because Josiah had stripped away the shrines on those hilltops. Only demonstrating 
that they truly still had perverted their way and forgotten the Lord their God. How much they needed to repent and to learn that the noise of that worship on the hilltops, that was the noise of false worship and it was not the sound and the sweet-smelling aroma of a pleasing sacrifice to God. It was, in his ears, an empty noise, a tumult, a, a commotion. That's what uh, is meant in verse 21. As I said at the start, children may cry to their father, but they sometimes cry in the wrong way. Here, the people were crying to their father, but they didn't cry to God out of a conviction in what the scripture teaches about his fatherhood or our sonship in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they didn't cry out with a conviction as to what that means for how we then live. And the Lord, you see, does not listen to false cries. We can use his name, but false cries and false prayers arising out of a false sense of sonship to that he does not listen. No, what is needed is sons who have repentant and believing hearts. Who know what our adoption through the Lord Jesus Christ means. And we know what the implications of it are. Both as to the blessings and also as to how we then live. And who can say then, as in verses 22 and 23, Behold, we come to you, for you are the Lord our God. Not bringing in any false pagan worship. You are the Lord our God. And surely in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. Not in anything or anyone else. And when we come in that way, the father who pities his erring sons will surely heal. Return, O faithless sons, I will heal your faithlessness. And again, it's not that sinners can or must return of their own free will. No, but the father who pities his true sons, he puts into us that spirit of repentance. He puts that on our hearts when we stray. And that is another blessing of adoption. And as a result, we then turn to him for help and turn from our sins. And then the father welcomes back his prodigal sons. He still does that today. Are you an adopted child of God? Uh, if so, then you are a repentant child of God. And as a repentant child of God, you also have received mercy. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, would you help us to be assured that we are indeed your adopted children? If there are those in the congregation who struggle with that, with uh, recognising their sonship, then Father, we pray that you will strengthen them and enable them to see the truth of it. Will you enable us to be thankful for the many blessings associated with our adoption? And Father, will you help us to strive with your help to live in the way that you call your children to live. Father, when we fail to do so, would you cause the sense of privilege and the blessedness of adoption to be part of that which moves us to repent? And will you then forgive your erring children for Christ's sake? We pray it in his name. 
Amen. In the Lord's Prayer, we seek the Lord's fatherly love and grace, for he is our Father and we are his children. Hymn 431 stands as 1, 2 and 10. And uh, you may note as we sing this that uh, it begins with our Father. Uh, We can call God Father, we can call him Abba because of the work of his Son and the enabling of his Spirit. 431 stands as 1, 2 and 10. We'll stand to sing and would you please remain standing after for the blessing and doxology. As a doxology, we sing the last two stanzas of the one that we sang earlier from the Red Book, number 68. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.